Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland, and we're back. It's spring training. So this week we have Brendan Miller from Cubs Insider and the Cubs Related Podcast as our guest. And we basically talk about all things spring training. Um, Jake Arrieta, you Darvish, what in a very calm, non-confrontational Cubs camp, what few battles there are and what moves we'd like to see made. And, of course, we create a new award, the Joe Mather Award. Well, I'll explain it. It'll be explained more in the actual interview, but it's interesting. Anyway, um, here's a reminder to listen to Brendan's podcast, The Cubs Welcome to Holy Cow, The Cubs Podcast. I am very excited to be on with you, Sean, to talk a lot about all the recent Cubs news. Thanks for having me. Yep, no problem. All right, well, I guess we'll start out with the most immediate news. Jake Arrieta has a team, Philadelphia Phillies. Most of the reaction by Cubs people has been pretty good. People on Twitter, everyone's, for the most part, unhappy for Jake. But what do you think of this as a baseball move for the Phillies? Oh, for the Phillies, it's phenomenal, right? You get Jake Arrieta guaranteed only a $75 million, uh, a relative bargain based on what many people predicted for Jake at the, uh, at the uh, offset during this offseason. So many thought he would get around $100 million. He ends up getting 75 The annual average value is $25 million, so he gets that. But for the Phillies, though, it's really important for them because it boosts their win projection to around 77. So realistically, just based on the randomness of baseball, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to get to 70 or to get to 83 wins, right? Mm-hmm. So now they're right about around 500 and they're stiff in that wild card. So for them, great move. Absolute bargain. Yeah. And the other thing is too, is that it's a, a lot of people have talked about this, that it's really head scratching for a team like, the Nationals or the Brewers <laughs> Bizarre. are much closer to, you know, contention for a championship to just let Arietta go when he could be signed for so little. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. I was talking to Corey Friedman, my uh, Cubs-related podcast host, yes. and we were floored that the Brewers would not spend the money to get Jake Arietta. Again, it's only three years, like only three years. And in my mind especially for a team like the Brewers, it's not going to affect their long-term future at all. And you look at, I think it's great that you asked, what do you think it does for the Phillies? You look at what it does, what it does not do for the Brewers right now. If you go to Fangraphs, the Brewers are only projected to have one more win in the Phillies right now. Mm-hmm. Absurd, right? Absurd. So they're, yeah, it's a big loss for the Phillies and not only, or for the Brewers. And I don't know, I don't know what they're really thinking right now. It's uh it's just a little absurd in my opinion. As for the Nationals, a little bit more understandable, right? So they're right above the luxury tax right now, and they're basically they're going to hit it this year. So they have all these luxury tax implications. So I understand for their point of view why they wouldn't try to sign Jake. For the Brewers, I don't know, no excuse. Exactly, and yeah, the Nationals. You could argue they already have a pretty solid rotation. 
Yeah. Like, cause you're not, you're, you'll use at the most four starters in the playoffs, but at, you know, three starters is enough to get you through sometimes it would be closer, but Arietta would be more overkill for the nationals. Yeah. And I never really seriously considered the nationals as big time players for Jake, unless they were able to move around some pieces just to lower down that luxury tax cap. I just never thought realistically that was a possibility. I, I, at, from the start, I thought the Phillies made perfect sense. Just the way this wacky offseason has turned out with all these pitchers getting these ridiculous deals. So it makes sense for the Phillies. Um, and they're going to get, you know, they're going to get a solid pitcher for the next three years. And for Jake, obviously probably disappointing for him based on what a lot of the comments he said during the last season, even the season before, you know, he was saying aces get around 200 million. He did not get around 200 million. He did not get the seven years he was saying. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to be disappointed with $75 million. I'll take a little bit of that, but from Jake's point of view and what probably Boris thought the market would be, he probably got around 40 to 50% of what he really wanted uh, a year ago. Yeah. And it's kind of with the current market we have, it's almost this bizarre thing where now he got the most, almost of anyone. I think he had the most guaranteed like a um, annual value of anyone in this free agent period. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's like he got way less than expected, but for this year, he did better than anyone else. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really somewhat comedic to compare just the annual average value of Jake Arrieta to we can parallel this to you Darvish, right? Like you Darvish gets guaranteed 126. And obviously that's going to be a much bigger deal and commitment for, for a team like the Cubs. But if you want to look at the immediate future, let's say the next year, the two years, especially when Bryce Harper becomes a free agent and Manny Machado, or maybe even Clayton Kershaw. So having a $4 million saving over over Jake Arrieta's 25 million, right? So Darvish is at 21 million annual average value. Arietta's 25. It does make a difference. It really does, believe it or not, especially for the Cubs. We have all these arbitration guys right now where a 4 million increase is a big deal for them. So <laughs> it's funny when we parallel with Darvish and you realize that Darvish will be making 4 million less mm-hmm. towards the luxury tax. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Well, I guess that's a good transition to get to you, Darvish. It seemed like it was one of those things that all year it was coming, it was coming, but then it wasn't, then it was. I mean, Evan on Cubs Insider wrote about, what, 40 articles about you, Darvish, it felt like? Oh, it was, it was a you, Darvish, insider offseason, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, and finally he signed right before yeah. spring training started. So how do you feel about it? You Darvish is, as Theo put it, the premier strikeout pitcher of our generation. So you look at what he brings to this team. He brings a five-pitch repertoire of some of the best stuff we may see as, as Cub fans. I think the, the only better pitcher that I've seen in a Cubs uniform recently is Jake Arrieta, right? Um but from pure stuff, Darvish is just exceptional. The, the one encouraging thing about Darvish as it relates to Arietta is that 
Darvish hasn't had any dip in velocity. He hasn't had any problems with command recently. He has the injury issue, but outside of that, for the most part, he's been the same guy. I know the numbers weren't as, mm, I guess, within his career averages last year, but I, I'm not worried about it. You look at what makes pitchers good. It's command. It's velocity. It's good stuff. Darvish really hasn't deviated away from any of those over the last several years, even before Tommy John. So I'm excited. And I think when you compare, when you pair him up with someone like Jim Hickey, who loves curveballs and breaking pitches, I think we haven't really seen the best of you Darvish. And that's really crazy to think about given his past. Yeah. And a thing that I've been thinking about too is, you know, um, other than what, three months, two months in LA, his whole career has been in Texas at just a bandbox of a stadium. <laughs> that, like the home run totals from Texas are just insane for people. I mean, go back to like guys like Milton Bradley and Oh, you're gonna bring Milton Josh Bradley Hamilton up in this podcast? How dare you, Sean? How dare you? <laughs> well, I, I I was on that corner against Milton Bradley because I said that one the year he had right before he was signed with the Cubs was a creation of Texas. And <laughs> that was my yeah, I mean, it's you're right. The The environment in Texas is very conducive to homers. So uh, you're absolutely right. And then, of course, you get to face the DH and you're facing basically three to four more plate appearances of a legit hitter in the AL. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the one thing that I want to monitor from Darvish right out of the gate is looking at his mechanics. And I wrote about this on Cubs Insider, but it was odd to me that right when he was acquired by the Dodgers, the Dodgers said, you're going back to your release point from 2014, even though that may have been a contributing factor to his injury. Um, and what happened with Darvish is when he went to this, basically his old release point, uh, his fastball spin rate just completely spiked. And then his whiff rate jumped up 10 percentage points. And he was able to have some pretty good starts towards the end of August and going into September. So it will be really informative in the next probably three weeks when the season starts to see where the Cubs go with Darvish, because they said, you know, we're going to not tell you what to do. And they're notorious for giving these pitchers basically free will to do what they want with some limitations like Jake Arrieta was able to flourish underneath that type of uh, perspective. So I'm, I'm curious, man. I want to see you Darvish just unleash and do whatever the hell he wants. And I think ultimately we're going to see some really good starts from him. And <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he doesn't have an ERA under, you know, 3.5 or a FIP under 3.5 by years. end. I'd be very, very surprised. Yeah. Well, um, so then I'll move on to um, the rest of what do you what are your feelings on spring training? It's kind of a <laughs> low impact spring training, not a lot of stuff on the line. What have you noticed liked about spring training so far? I I like spring training because I get to watch Cubs baseball without being stressed, and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I anytime I don't have to freak out about any weird baseball trend or whatever velocity, like I'll, I'll gladly be okay with that. So spring training is, uh, I think a spring training for us fans as well. Um, now what I've liked most about this spring, uh, I would say two things. First off is Kyle Hendricks, 
looks phenomenal, right? Struck out seven yes. batters against the Sox. The velocity has been sitting around 88. Uh, the breaking stuff just looks phenomenal. I and mean, he's adding a curveball to his repertoire uh, to use a little bit more frequent. So Hendricks, super encouraging. Um, and I'd be remiss if I don't mention Kyle Schwarber, right? Like mm-hmm. Schwarber just doesn't look like the Kyle Schwarber from seven months ago. Uh, and I know people make a big deal about his, you know, his weight and his transformation and whatnot. Yeah, that's cool to see and everything. But if we were just to compare Schwarber from this spring training to a year ago, completely different player. Mechanically, his overall comfort at the plate, I, we did some side-by-side videos. It's quite dramatic to see how much he's changed in a year. And we've seen results so far. Granted, it's spring training and Arizona is like an airport of a launch pad out there. Uh, in terms of balls leaving the yard. So I don't like to spend so much time looking at numbers, but just looking at the quality of plate appearances, Schwarber is incredible. Kyle Hendricks has commanded the zone. Velocity looks great. I would say those are the two biggest things I've noticed. Yeah. And that's what, you know, with um, Kyle Hendricks, I was, um, my joke is that I've been saying is that it's a back to the future situation. <laughs> If he hits 88 miles an hour, yeah. we're in really good shape. Mm-hmm. And last year, he was not close to Oh, he was giving me a heart attack, man. He was averaging 84, 85 in those June months. It was just, ugh, I, it's, it was ridiculous. I don't know what happened there. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? Like, you look at this rotation, and I was dwelling on the 2016 rotation. And what they did was historic. But going into this year, oddly enough, I feel better about this rotation. I don't know how you feel, Sean, about it, but... <laughs> yeah, I actually do feel better. Well, I, I with you, I was never a huge uh, John Lackey fan. Oh, I, I was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, not the biggest Lackey supporter, needless to say. So I'm thinking just the upgrade. I don't know how good Chatwood's going to be. He's leaving Colorado, so but he's got to be an upgrade over... Um, John Lackey. And then, you know, you're going to have Quintana for the whole year. Yeah. And I'm not as up on Quintana as someone like, like my colleague from um, Cubs Den, Mike Banghart. Mm-hmm. He loves Quintana. So you're not, you're not, you're not a big fan of Quintana or you're just not as high on him as most? I'm not as high on him. All right. So what's, what's, excellent... what's, what's the, uh, what's the problem that you have? Not problem. But like, why aren't you as high as, you know, your buddy uh, as on, on Quintana? What is it? Well, it's, I just get worried about, he seems like he has to work hard early in games a lot. Mm-hmm. His pitch counts go up. Now, I don't know. I didn't watch him as much when he was with the White Sox, but from watching him on the Cubs, it seemed like there were a lot of times when he would get through, like he'd only give up two runs, but he'd be at 70 pitches in like the third, like after three innings. And you'd be like, I'd like him to be more efficient. I know. That's that's, kind of that, that's, so that's the issue for you is that you feel as if he starts out games and he's just giddy behind early and he's not able to be more efficient through the first four or five exactly, minutes. Exactly. Yes. Okay. It's I, a I, minor thing. That's a, I think, I think it is a minor thing. So the one, and I, I like Quintana. I want to say, um, you know, just completely blown away by Quintana, but I think it's, I think it says something about this front office and when they're willing to give up someone like an Eloy Jimenez to get Jose Quintana. Uh, now, looking at just sheer stuff, Quintana isn't someone like a Yu Darvish. He's not even someone like a Kyle Hendricks, to be frank, in terms of having that one secondary pitch. 
What Quintana does very, very well is command that fastball. And we saw it a little early on with the Cubs last year before he kind of faulted midway through his tenure last season. But a good example is that Baltimore start, his first Baltimore mm-hmm. start. Coming out, making 12 Orioles whiff. He's throwing high fastballs. And then he's showing the same release point with that curveball. So if he can do that consistently, yeah, then I think he has great potential. Um, I, I Look, I understand with the efficiency. It's my biggest pet peeve is when a starting pitcher has 50 pitches in the second inning. That's mm-hmm. just terrible, right? Uh, but I'm not concerned about him. I think that's the biggest thing is when I don't feel concerned about a particular pitcher and I feel as if he can command the strike zone and he's not going to be inconsistent or wild, then I'm generally going to like you as a pitcher. Yeah, and, I, and this is a minor thing. I really do like him, but like Mike is like, he thinks he's like the best pitcher in baseball. And I'm like, well, no, I think he's a solid. See, my, my line that I've been using is that it really is like, now Darvish is the one borderline, but it's really mm-hmm. having a rotation of four excellent number two starters. Yeah, I think it's a good way. I think it's a good way to put it. But you know what? That's look. I'll take four number two starters, man. I'll take four number two starters. Um, and I, I really do think, Sean, if Hendricks can get back to his 2016 self, and I, I'm telling you, it's dependent upon that velocity. I don't care what anyone says. If his velocity is 88, everything is set up just in line. It's just he'll be the same guy as 2016. And then if Darvish can look like Darvish right when you came back from Texas and Tommy John, you have two number ones. And then if John Lester can be this anything like he was two years ago, this rotation is quite possibly the best rotation in the national league. And that even says something about the national stuff because they are so good. So yeah, I think going into the season right now, if you, a lot of people like to put labels on starters as he's a one, he's a two, he's a three, he's a four, uh, which is fine. I think it's an okay way to, to go about classifying guys. But I, I think you're right. I think right now we have four uh, generally classified number two starters, but we have the potential, Sean, for multiple aces on this team. You know that. You know that. Well, it's one of those things. It's like literally you can make a case for um, Lester, Hendricks, Quintana, or Darvish to become number one starters. That's what I'm trying to say. Every year. And it's kind That's of amazing. Trying to say. Yeah. And – It'll be fun to watch Chatwood too. Uh, expectations vary widely across who you talk to, but I'm interested in Chatwood. Mm-hmm. And as a five starter, you know, you're not going to rely on him to have 33 starts, right? So if he makes 20, 25 starts, I'll be happy about that. They're only paying him 13 million, which is basically, you know, below league average pitcher. Uh, but Chatwood too, if he stays healthy, and you can't lie to me. You're not interested in that, in, in those numbers away from Coors Field. Yeah, that's another yeah. guy to be excited about. Yeah, and um, yeah, and like two of my favorite starting pitchers in all of baseball are Kyle Hendricks and Yu Darvish. Yeah, and they're both on the team, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Wait, so now, did you like Yu Darvish before he was on the Cubs? Oh, I wanted. I was <laughs> totally in on him when he posted. I was like, you got to get this guy, and of course. Oh, I know. Second place, like they always said. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if I believe that that they were always second. They were yeah, second on Tanaka him, too. Second on yeah. Tanaka. I'm like, now they're probably saying second on Otani. Probably like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I remember too. It's. I'm always disappointed when a lot of these international guys get posted. It seems as if the Cubs just can't score in them. But I, I will admit when 
the off season started, if you were to tell me that Jake Arrieta would re-sign with a team for $75 million, mm-hmm. I would have been all over that deal for the Cubs. Way more than Darvish. All over it. But I think as time has gone along and as the offseason progressed, I got to look more at Darvish and watch more of his stars and look more into the numbers. It makes total sense that the Cubs would want to spend and give someone like Darvish $50 million more and guaranteed just because of that potential, right? It's, it's, the guy has five pitches. I know Arietta has a great uh, slider cutter, great curve, uh, crazy arm action on that third base release point. But Darvish, man, I, I, I really hope Cub fans don't get comfortable with having these great pitchers because Darvish quite possibly, quite possibly will be up there in terms of pure stuff that Cubs fans will see. And I think he and Arietta both have that to say. And it's something, it's, it's something to just think about having you Darvish. We should not take for granted. Yeah. And, and Arietta just, you know, he was so good when he was great. He was great, but it just scared me. Like you were saying, his velocity uh, yeah. just like steadily declining each year. And he looked to lose a little bit of control last year. And mm-hmm. it, just, it scared you to give him money. And it, Oh yeah. I've spent many sleepless nights, Sean, thinking about that velocity. Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> Because he was averaging around 95 for most of his time in the Cubs. He dropped down to 92 and a half last year. Like, what is up with that? Yeah. And the command, too, is just basically, I don't want to say a shell of his former self in 2015, but I don't know what happened there. And the command in 2017 was granted better than 2016. But, yeah, it's it was a little unsettling. But nevertheless, $75 million, I still would have taken that gamble on Arietta. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, yeah, it's a good gamble for the Phillies, I think. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun too, and I think it's going to be quite interesting to see he and Gabe Kapler. Uh, Corey was saying this; they got to do some type of video, some type of like diet or nutrition or fitness series with those two. If they don't, then whoever is running that media account should just be fired immediately. Yes, that that's true. Uh, you know, I was actually thinking something when we were talking about these guys that forbid. I've heard rumors that I can't possibly believe this, mm-hmm. but that they might start Otani and AAA, the Angels. I mean, I don't Is that a thing? That. I mean, I didn't even see that. Is that was that news today? Well, it was, yeah, I guess like yes, the day before. Well, it was, I think, a couple of days ago, but it was. A couple of days ago. His, his pitching performances were, were haven't been up to par so far. I'm like, there's no way that you could put him in AAA, but. I mean, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. Now, remember, and this will be hilarious to watch if it ends up being the case, but they can delay his uh, service time by a few weeks and have him for seven years. Um, <laughs> that is a thing, right? It's a whole Chris Bryant saga again. Because no, he is uh, subject to those same rules. So uh, <laughs> they I make didn't the game. Right? You didn't yeah. think about that. I'm thinking about that right now as we're talking about this. But yeah, you wait three weeks, boom, you get an extra year of Otani. Seven years, done. Yeah, well, the thing I was thinking of, too, with the rumor is I'm like, they would never do that. And I go, wait a minute, Mike Sosha. Yep. The, yeah, so whenever I hear Mike Sosha, I'm just very fortunate. And I'm very glad we have someone like Joe Madden running this team. Uh, I'm yes. sure Sosha is a great player, manager, and whatnot. But it just it's a great contrast to someone like Joe Madden. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll ask one more Cubs question because <laughs> I just wrote an article about it today or yesterday. Uh-huh. And it's this uh, final spot in the bullpen which I'd assume would go to Justin Grimm for a long time. But then I was reading this article by the Cubs reporter, and it was about that 
with this arbitration hearing they had that apparently they can release him and it's not guaranteed that they release him during spring training. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, then the arbitration thing started to make more sense to me. But then I'm thinking if they can release him so easily and only have to pay like $500,000, he better pitch well. And he has not pitched well this spring. So you're thinking you want Grimm off the team? Yes. I think that the Cubs are going to, they're going to release him. Because who, if they, who would you rather have take his spot uh, when the season starts? Well, the theory that I put together, and I don't know if I'm crazy about it, but what I think the Cubs will do is that they'll release him and then keep Eddie Butler as like the mop-up guy, long man in the bullpen, just to try to keep him on the roster because he's out of options. Now, I don't know how long they'll stick with that, but that's my theory. I can get behind that theory. I... This is a touchy subject because he's pitched so bad, Justin Graham, so bad this spring training. Now, at the same time, I wonder whether or not those numbers are truly reflective of his performance. What I mean by that is one of the main issues with Justin Graham has been command. He's had a pretty bad walk rates the past few years, and we've seen this trend of Cubs relievers hammering the strike zone this spring justin or justin wilson another justin with command issues he has not thrown one ball this entire this entire spring training not one ball 22 pitches not one ball right so i wonder if this is a thing where they're saying you know what who cares about the contact the quality of contact the row strikes and for Grimm, it's resulted in more homers and he looks pretty bad for others it's been pretty good now uh, as it comes to justin Grimm and eddie butler if this is, this is where you just have to default to the Cubs coaching staff and the management. If they believe Eddie Butler has done enough to change or improve his potential as a starting pitcher from last year, and they decide to keep him because of that, I'll fully 100% get on board with that. Now, if Eddie Butler has not changed anything, uh, I don't know if I want to see him pitch in this team anymore. I, what I saw was he had a, you know, he had a, was it 3.8 ERA with the team last year, but my mm-hmm. God, I don't know how he was able to survive with the stuff he had. Uh, walk rate and K rate basically identical around like four and three. Yeah. The so that's strikeout to walk rate. Yeah. The strikeout to walk ratio was like one. It was, it was really bad. Yeah. Like the worst in professional baseball. So that's not going to last. Um, and again, like I said about Jim Hickey, he loves curveballs, man. And Justin Grimm has, one of the best curveballs as a reliever, believe it or not. He's always consistently in the top 10 for whiff rates year in, year out, despite his poor command, despite his poor homer, right? So, um, yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I guess it comes down to, one, did Eddie Butler improve enough from this spring to last August to warrant not basically letting him go and warranting getting rid of someone like Justin Grimm, who has potential as a middle to borderline medium, high leverage reliever. I, I don't know. I trust the Cubs pitching staff and their coaching staff and their management to make the right decision though. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's kind of, they really, I'm sure if you ask the Cubs privately what they wanted, they wanted Dylan Maples to come out and just, blow away spring training so they could keep him as their eighth guy. Oh my God. We are going to be completely blown away by Dylan Maples this year. I'm telling you, man, that, that cutter slider, whatever you want to call it, 
disgusting. I don't think a human being should make a baseball move that much with that much velocity. Yeah, and it was like he struggled early in the spring, and then there's that game against the Indians where he looked so amazing. And, you're like, this is the, and then the Dodgers, he gives up a three-run home run, and you're like, come on. That's okay. I, I've seen enough of that cutter slider. I don't need to see any more of the spring training to know that Dylan Maple is going to be something else to watch. And you wonder then, maybe they make a bold move and they do break camp with Dylan Maples as the eighth guy. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, man, I, th- this is a good problem to have. We're talking about the last relieving, uh, the last relief spot and <laughs> a team that basically has no holes at the moment. This is a good problem to have. Uh, ideally, in a perfect world, without these service time issues and without these uh, option issues, Dylan Maples is the best pitcher amongst those two. Um, exactly. Now, in terms of protecting and giving your rotation depth, Eddie Butler makes the most sense. And in terms of capitalizing on, mm, I don't even want to call it, I'll also say a medium risk guy in Justin Grimm. We know what Justin Grimm has done in the past. And again, defaulting to Jim Hickey and his love for the curveball and Justin Grimm's great curveball, you can see why they would go with any one of these pitchers. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the... It's kind of like that's a great sign for your team that literally I had to gin up this controversy like a final roster spot because <laughs> there is really no debates. Really, uh, like maybe leadoff hitter, if that's even a thing. Uh, that will really be fun to watch. <laughs> who, do you want, who do you want as leadoff guy, Sean? Well, I personally am a big fan of Ian Happ. Yeah. I think Ian Happ is great, but... I do get scared by that strikeout rate being so high, but I, I, I I don't know. I, I, I'll be fine with anyone at leadoff. Uh, There's a part of me that wants to see Joe Madden just piss off the rest of the fan base and that Kyle Schwarber lead off just to see the reactions. Um, Oh man, if Ben Zobers can stay healthy and he has a year like he'd had in 2016 and he can get 400, 450 plate appearances, I would probably bet him lead off. Uh, Hap is interesting. He'll have to improve his play discipline, which I think he can do. But I got to say, it's interesting. The athleticism atop the lineup. Um, yeah, I mean, you have, you have Albert Almora too, which a little bit more aggressive for my liking. It'd be like Batty Starlin Castro leadoff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't know, Sean. I don't know what they're going to do there. So many options. But I think I would have to go with Zilberich just to start it off. Yeah, and that's the final thing I was going to ask about, which I think on one of your podcasts recently you talked about it too, but I'm just with Jason Hayward. I mean, oh I'd like God. to see his plate appearances a little limited. I mean, do we need to see a full season of him again? Or Yeah, yeah it's – I, I spent hours talking about Jason Hayward, hours. Um, I uh, – where do I even start? I'm concerned that if you give Hayward a longer leash, that it could halt some of the, de- some of the development from players like Hap and Omora, guys who need plate appearances. So that's in the back of my mind. Um, but I, if we know that the defensive value is so good, that him being just a league average hitter would be so significant for this team, except I I don't know. I don't know if I want to halt the development to take that risk right now of Albert Amora and Ian Happ. Yeah, it's such a, and it's like, you just like, I mean, 
spring training stats don't matter. Right. But I, um, I'll do, I do the recaps and I look at like the box scores and all of a sudden MLB.com has decided to put OPS when the guys are up to bat. Yeah. And Hayward, the last game he was up with, his OPS was 491. And I'm like, Oof. Oh. Oof. I have to look at that. I'm like, I know it's a spring training. It's not, but it's just like, you know, if he just get a little more extra base hitting, he'd be with his defense. I would put him eighth in the order. Fine. But it's like, his slugging percentage is so low and it's like, <sighs> I know it's, it's, it's probably by July going to give me some, um, some severe heartburn if he's not turning it around just cause we are going to have to figure something out here with, with these young guys and that 23 million a year is not going to do well for us. Was so it 23 or 24? I'm forgetting now. It's 23, 23. I mean, geez, come on. This, this is, this is, this is borderline absurd that he hasn't been able to put it together. I, I like Jason. I really appreciate his work ethic. I'm shocked that he hasn't been a, a, a three win player on a year in year out basis. It's unfortunate, but I'm hopeful at least in the first month, he can just kind of relax, not focus too much on his mechanics and his, uh, overall issues that people have been talking about for the past few years and just go out there and just hit the ball, man. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, you think about it, you just think about that. If Schwarber comes on, you can have an outfield some days of Schwarber and left Elmora and center and happen. Right. And you think that's a pretty good lineup. Oh, that's the, the power potential there too. Right. It's just, Having the guys like Hap and Schwarber and KB and Rizzo and Willie all the way up there in the top five spots. I mean, look out. Those guys, those guys are 25, 30 homer potential, all of them. Yeah. I mean, if you're putting that together and you then you can go like, oh, yeah, who hits sixth and seventh? Oh, nobody. Just Russell and Baez. Don't worry. And um, let me tell you something. Addy, Addy Russell this year, look out. If he stays healthy, that's, that's, that's something to watch there, Sean. All right. See, this is <laughs> – I wrote – the article I wrote this year – was the breakout for Kyle Schwarber okay. that I wrote for Cubs Den. Yeah. The last two years, it was I wrote the breakout Addison Russell articles. And I <laughs> burned both times, and I'm like, I can't. I'm thinking maybe it's me. Maybe if I... No, it's not you. It's not you. So here's the thing with Addison Russell. I'm glad we're getting to this part. Uh, Addison Russell has a bizarre career trajectory, not just last year, but leading up to last year as well. Because... There's not a historical comp for Russell. So computers like Bacoda, which is probably one of the more reliable projection systems, they don't really have a good, confident projection on Russell. So sometimes the computer will spit out, Russell's going to be a top five shortstop. Other times we'll be like, you know, he's going to be kind of below average. They're not confident in his projection. But that proves, that proves that he's, one, been able to adjust at times where it's to a degree where you can't compare him because it's a little bit inconsistent. So he has a talent there and he's made so many adjustments over the years since he got called up so many. And I think this latest iteration of Russell with his hands, a little, I can go into hours with this, but with yeah. his hands a little bit higher. Uh, he started the year off and went all the way through July with like these Anthony Rizzo hand placement and if you go back and look at all of his success, it's come when his hands are higher and he's able to pull the ball consistently. I've seen, we've seen that when he came back with the Cubs in August, leading up to the playoffs, he had homers in the playoffs. He looks great this spring training, good at bats. I really do think if he can stay healthy, if the shoulder can get healthy, if the foot can stay healthy, if he can just be 
100% fluid and not have to worry about any injuries throughout the entire year. I'm, I'm telling you, man, this is this guy has the talent. He had 21 homers two years ago at shortstop. You give him 600 plate appearances of health, look out. I'm telling you. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. and I hope I'm right, too. <laughs> we got in that argument about – it wasn't an argument, but I made the case for Baez at shortstop. Which no, was, you uh, hurt me. You hurt I me. know I did. I know. But it yeah. was, you know, if – like you said, I want to see. And if his arm is like – it probably was injury-related, but I'm just – I was always worried about the arm. Other than that, he's much, he's smoother than Baez. Now, Baez, you, can I say like a tenth? Like one percent more athletic, maybe. Okay, okay. So we can get into this. I, uh, it's it's hard. Len Casper said that when you talk about one and compare him to the other, we're talking about bias or also here. It's hard not to come off as like you're trying to diss the other guy. They're both mm-hmm. exceptional infielders. They're both probably some of the most fun infielders I've ever watched. So, I, the athleticism, the flash oozes from bias. Uh, the arm is much better than, than Russell's arm. Mm-hmm. So that's undeniable. Uh, now, for Russell, he's like a vacuum man. He just gets to every single ball. And I think he has, he has, he has better range and bias. We know that. Um, the arm is granite. Like I was saying, it's not as good as bias, but it was, it's important for me. And I said this to many people. I can't say it to you too. To differentiate between injury and talent, right? Mm-hmm. So if his arm was injured last year, Madden already said his spring training, he had a limp arm. So if the arm is truly back, then he's going to be a top defensive shortstop. Like he is year in, year out. He had a bad arm last year. He still led the league in Sabre defensive index. And over the last four years, he's been up there with Brandon Crawford and Francisco Lindor and, and Drelton Simmons. So it's hard to argue to move Russell from shortstop at the same time, I understand it's really hard not to give someone like a hobby bias a chance there. It's a, it's a, we'll never have this issue as Cub fans as long as we live, I guarantee you, because teams would die to have either one of these guys as your shortstops. Yes. We did not have this problem, you mean, with the great Jose Hernandez, Jeff Blauser debate at shortstop? Oh, my God. You're killing me. I think we had a problem, too, with uh, Ryan Terrio and Mike Fontenot back in the day. Oh, my God. Or we can go into the Navy, uh, Navy what is it? Uh, Navy, Navy Perez, you know, Perez and Cesar's jurors following him up a few years later. Oh, trade a good max for him. Yes, this is, some, this is what I'm talking about. So we got to really embrace the fact that we have two elite shortstops on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'll just, yeah, that's what I'll just finish with that. Yeah. And I try, I hope I tried in my article to make clear that I think <laughs> Russell is very good. And I, that's a, can yeah. I do it's Yeah. It's like, like Len was saying, I listened to that interview and I'm like, yeah, that, yeah. It's like, if you no, I don't mean anything bad about the other. It's just, and it's hard to really communicate that because it's people get defensive of their guys. You have super hardcore bias fans and I lead the Addison Russell fan train. So it's hard to, uh, you know, try to knock them off as being cruel to the other player. They're both just phenomenal athletes and we're lucky to have both of them. Yeah. And that's the train I went derailed. So, <laughs> yeah. I was I was the captain of the Jorge Soler train, yeah. train and went off a bridge. Well, you know, if you're still leading that train, he's still he's still somewhat young and he's having a good spring training and he still has monstrous talent. So, you know, you still could end up being right there, Sean. Yes, he's on a home run tear in, tra- in uh, spring training this yeah, year. He looks, good. he looks good. 
All right. Well, then I will finish on my final question, the big question. The big one. About your hero, Mike Freeman. <laughs> oh, you son of a of the future. You, you had to do this, huh? I know. Well, in my defense, Evans was the one that was the real no, instigator. I, I joined, Evan, I joined Evan, in. Evan and Corey over there just, you know, they love to do this to me. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and finish your question. <laughs> All right. Is he the great, a great shortstop? Or the greatest shortstop. Oh my God, dude, this is, it's only natural to follow this up with the Addison Russell and Javi Baez. Look, this is what I'm going to say about Mike Freeman. Okay. Nothing against Mike Freeman. Um, he's, he's capable as a defensive shortstop in AAA. Um, but you can't tell me when he was penciled in the starting lineup during the pennant race last year and coming up on ground balls and making theirs, that you just want, you did not want to jump off your balcony, man. That that was excruciatingly bad. And again, I, I don't want to come off as being, you know, screw Mike Freeman or whatever, but I can't watch him. It's just, it's reactionary now. I was so upset when he was just making those terrible plays. Yep. So to answer right. your question, I would say the greatest. <laughs> okay. Now, full, now it's confession time for me. Okay. Let's I'm hear totally it. on your side. Thank you. I cannot you. stand Mike Freeman. Okay, well. I don't want him time. anywhere near the team, though. No. All right, well, I would like some backup next time this happens. Yes, I, I am teased by other people for, like, oh, Mike Freeman had a big day. I'm like, no, stop it. Stop don't it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I hope Ryan Court ends up uh, boosting Freeman off the roster. Court's, uh would would be a welcome addition to my fan club. Yes. Well, <laughs> as, yeah, that's I kind of have. I think about a spring training award for, I want to call it the Joe Mather award for oh guys who just Excellent. dominate in garbage time of spring training and mm-hmm. everyone loves them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's down to Mike Freeman and Ryan court this year. That's, that's the battle. <laughs> I think you'd have to give it to Ryan court at the moment, but we have, we have many more games to go. Yes. It's to be decided. Can Kyle Schwarber get that award? Um, I mean, he's, he, you have to consider everyone now. He's have he has three homers. Hap has four homers too. Yeah, you gotta have probably. a fair. You gotta have a fair assessment now. You can't just pick these guys. These these scrappy guys. Well, I think part of the qualifications is that you have no prayer to make the team. But, okay. And okay. I also like to do it like you can't be a prospect. So like you can't like David Bodie is having a good spring, but he's a he's a prospect still. Okay, so, so you have yeah. to be basically an invitee, or you have to be a fizzled out prospect on the cusp of leaving the game. Exactly, just like the awards namesake Joe Mather. Okay, uh, yeah, Joe Mather. I, if you want to throw that in people's faces, that were like that, or you know, bandwagon, or like, like yeah. ask them if they know who Joe Mather is, because that was uh, that was insanity. That was a very brutal time for us Cub fans. Those were what I call the dark ages before we were blessed with this current era of Cubs baseball. Yeah. It was like, well, he hit 400. Let's give him a shot. And you know what? Most people, me included, are like, yeah, why not? Team's going to suck anyway. I will say though, Joe Mather and MLB, the show against the lefties. Great ratings. I used to reckon that game with Joe Mather. So I'm not as, as you know, screw you Joe Mather as, rest, as the rest of everyone else. But um, I, I, I do like Joe Matter just because of that uh, MLB The Show ratings. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good note to finish on. Uh, and you know, we can find your work on Cubs Insider and the Cubs Related Podcast, where you're tortured by your co-host about Joe Mather. 
I am. Mike Freeman. I am. John Jay. I am. But I will say this, and here's some insight too. If you ever want to upset Corey, there's three names that you need to mention. One is Ryan Terrio. Two is Mike, or not Mike Freeman, Mike Fontenot. Yes. Last one is Juan Pierre. You mention any three of those names, I guarantee you that you can at least get a little bit of a reaction from Corey. Well, I will keep that in mind because then I'll have to have him on here sometime. Yeah, you got to get him on. I'm sure he'll say just glorious things about me. I can't wait to hear that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, Sean, I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, well, that is all the time for this week. Now that the season is getting into gear, we will start doing these on a fairly regular basis now, so get prepared for some... You know, more interviews with some more interesting people. I guess I should probably start thinking about giving a prediction. But I think I'll save that for the um, podcast I release right before the season. Because we will have one more before the season starts. So that is where you'll get my exciting preview edition. Until then, uh, we will see you in a week.